keyboard-related news. My ErgoDox that was broken, I spent three to maybe four hours yesterday trying to fix it and was just like yelling in my apartment because this very expensive piece of hardware that I was super excited about wasn't working. Uh, and on my like last ditch try of like, fuck it, I'll use this other cord, whatever, it worked. And I literally just like hollered, stood up, my chair went rolling backwards. And so now it works and I've been typing on it. Today. Nice. Specifically, like, what were you doing to it? You get the PCB, you attach the switches to the PCB, you put the case together, then you have to program the board, and it goes through this process where you have to flash the board, which is getting everything that you programmed onto it, so it'll actually type. And so the deal was, it's a USB-A to USB-A, attaching the two halves, and then USB-C to USB-A into the computer. I was flashing it. Only the right half, which is the one that's directly attached to the computer, was flashing. The other one was not. And then I was like, okay, so this is a cord problem. I got to get another USB-A. Did that. Then it started causing power surges in all my USB ports. And for some reason, it just stopped recognizing it at all. Every time was a power surge warning. And I was like, oh, fuck, did I ruin this? Like, did I fry it? Yeah, I was going to say, does that fry your computer? Turns out, no, you just reset it. But it was happening so much. And I was like, did I seriously fuck up this entire thing? And then finally, I don't even know what the combination of things that I did that fixed it was, but I've been typing on it, you know, last night and today. And my usual typing speed is around like 105, 110 words per minute. Solid. Right now it's 20. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a big change, but it's fun. I feel very cyber, very hacker, very gamer. Yeah, well, you, you've made a keyboard. I mean, not your first, but... No, this is the first one that I actually, it I mean, is? I assembled a well, macro pad. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I someday I'll get around to doing the legit actually building a keyboard where you wire everything and it's a big pain, but I feel like that's a rite of passage that I must eventually do rather than just hot swaps where you're just shoving switches in. How micro can you get with the keyboard? Like Two keys, one key. <laughs> I have almost bought like a two key one because it's just cute. What would those two keys be? Arrows? You could do arrows. You could have like media control things on it. Like maybe you just have copy on one and paste on the other. That's part of the fun of like programming a keyboard. What am I talking about using computer one and zero? <laughs> and then the computer will just understand. Of course. I actually was just watching a video today of a guy who like puts together really weird keyboards. And one of the ones was like a binary keyboard that you have to flip all the switches to get the exact combination. Well, I don't understand what that means. Neither do I. Binary keyboard. I have to look at that. That's interesting. When I was, I don't know, 10, I was obsessed with non-decimal, non-base 10 counting systems. Did you ever go through such a phase, Layton? Take a wild guess. I'm going to say no. Yeah, that would be correct. So I remember... I went to this, it was like an honors program thing. It was like nine or 10. It was like a math class and there was some basic coding. And I remember being taught about base 12 was the first non-decimal base I ever learned. And the guy, he's like, okay, and base 12, and he explains how bases work. Do you know how bases work? Oh, fuck no. Okay. So each place is the base number to whatever power. So in base 10, the first digit is the ones, right? And the next digit is the tens. And the next digit is the hundreds, which is 10 to the second power. And the next digit is a thousand, which is 10 to the third power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, All right. That, that slightly jogs my memory back to math classes where I was like crying in frustration because I couldn't get it. Yeah, it's, it, it takes some getting used to. And, you know, in binary, right, it's zeros and ones because the first you have ones. And then by the time you get to two, then it clicks over to the next place. So two in binary is one zero because there's one, two and zero ones. And then it goes up. So then it's fours, eights, sixteens, thirty twos, et cetera. So this guy taught us base 12. 
And of course, once you get past base 10, if you're going to write out symbols, you need to, you know, there's only numbers up to nine, right? And so this guy taught us it went zero through nine and then T and E. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) It was like someone dropped a grenade into math. (laughs) I remember just being like, oh my God, I can write a number that's like one E and that means something. Oh my God. One E would mean one twelve and basically one eleven. So that would be 23, right? So the number 1E written out in base 12 in this guy's notation, that's what it would be. I think we might have lost the entire audience. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I don't think anybody's listening anymore. Anyone who doesn't care about detailed mechanical keyboard talk plus math, I'm sorry, you picked the wrong podcast. Yeah, it's like, what are you doing here, man? That's beautiful. It's it's very cute to hear that you were that excited by that at such a young age. Did you see the stuff about... Amanda Palmer announcing her divorce from Neil Gaiman on a Patreon post. I did. And my first thought was such good news for Patreon. I think we may have a live Patreon by the time this comes up. I don't know. But yeah, I did. I I saw a pixelated boat. Did you see his tweet? I've seen a lot of tweets about this today. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a joke. First of all, that guy's Twitter is great. But his tweet was, oh man, I can't believe someone subscribed to Amanda Palmer's Patreon at the divorce Neil Gaiman level. (laughs) for $500. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, of all the things that have happened in 2020, I really didn't expect Amanda Palmer, Neil Gaiman, Patreon divorce happening on the same day as Elon Musk and Grimes' baby is due. (laughs) Is that true? I didn't even see that part. She's pregnant? I didn't know she was pregnant. Oh, God. Yeah. On Friday, when Elon was having his Twitter meltdown and was like, my girlfriend is mad at me, he was like, the baby's due Monday. (laughs) Well, and this was the same day he said he's getting rid of all his physical possessions, right? Yeah. It's like, I own Gene Wilder's home. (laughs) Does he really? He lives in Gene Wilder's house? Well, I assume the man has several houses. That's just what he was tweeting. But you can never really trust a thing that the man tweets. No, that guy sucks. God, he sucks. He's the worst. And it really sucks, too, because I love Grimes for like ever. I think she's such a talented musician and she's really. Yeah, she's amazing. I don't want to tell her how to live her life. And she's clearly about to have the man who she loves baby. But God damn it, Grimes. Why did you have to do this? Actually, I hope the Elon Musk fanboys hear this and find us out. <laughs> Guys, if you if you hear this and you love Elon Musk, please follow us on Twitter. Just go back to Joe Rogan and watch him smoke weed. We promise to never have Elon on the show to smoke weed or any other substance. Any figure like that, that the moment you mention them, people come out of the woodwork to say, go fuck yourself, <laughs> which is so many people now, unfortunately. It's yeah. just upsetting. You know, I'm not saying he's dumb, but I was an academic. I hung around a lot of very, very smart people. Most of them don't talk like that. He's a very dumb, smart guy. Yeah. One might say a himbo, but with none of the charm that term might imply. (laughs) Are we taking bets on baby names here? Oh, yes. I will stoop to this level of shock jockey radio host in the morning kind of deal. Well, will he? I mean, he's arrogant enough that he'll try to name it after one of his companies, I'm guessing. Or it'll be some dumb joke like (laughs) Tesla Musk. That was my first guess or Powerwall Musk. This is the first time we've done hot celebrity goss on this show. Okay, but it's such a good day for like indie nerd hot celebrity goss. Like normally I wouldn't care, but it's a good intersection of a bunch of people that I strongly dislike. Well, okay. Are you willing to take a public stand on Amanda Palmer? (laughs) 
she's racist and a piece of shit. She's a bad person. And her music isn't good. Great. Okay, good. Just want to... That's my public What's stance. the racist thing? There was the whole, like, not paying musicians thing. Well, there was the not paying musicians thing. There was her pretending to kill herself. What? Then she used the recording of him finding her thinking that she was dead in one of her songs. And then later that guy killed himself. Really? Yes. Oh, I don't know any of this. A certain word with a hard R is her favorite thing to say, and she will defend to the death her right to say it. Is that true? Oh my God. I had no idea. The rabbit hole of Amanda Palmer shit is so deep. I was just going to go so far as to be like, not very much of a fan, but I didn't know any of this other stuff. She's just a shithead. I love that the Patreon post is just like, yeah, we're getting divorced. It's a really difficult time. Uh, Like, comment, and subscribe. Smash that like button. <laughs> Give me money. And I don't like Neil Gaiman either. Oh, that seems to be a much more controversial opinion. Eh, whatever. I mean, he seems like one of those parasocial nerd figureheads that people really like just because he made a thing that is important to you. That means he is super talented and great and is the best. He's done a bunch of stuff I really like. Like some of his stuff is very good, right? I'm not saying that he's bad. I don't particularly care for him. I remember I have his, I think it might be his first book. It was like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It was called Don't Panic. And I had that in high school. It was the first time I ever saw his name on anything. I can't remember the next thing I saw. Might have even been Sandman or something. I was like, wait, the Hitchhikers fan? That guy? <laughs> Maybe it was Good Omens, actually. I bet Good Omens was the next thing I got. I like, I couldn't get into Good Omens either. I never watched the TV show, but reading the book in high school, I was just like, yeah. Uh, I loved it in high school. Did you watch the show? I did, and I liked the show very much. It has people I really like in it. David Tennant and Michael, Michael Shannon. Is that his name? No. <laughs> God, I wish it was Michael Shannon. It's Michael so something, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it's Brit British man. I Irish? I think he's Irish. I'm not sure. Anyway, the other guy, whatever his name is. That I wish was Michael Shannon. That would be much funnier for Michael Shannon to play an angel. But yeah, I thought the show was really well done. Oh, it has Michael McKean. Also, Michael McKean. Yeah, oh, we strayed from the baby names. It's going to be Grimes has the space and mother nature obsession, and I feel like it's probably going to be in that zone. Like Gaia Musk? Gaia was the first thing that I went for. Vernon's suggestion a while ago, which was really great, was just inside asterisks, the sound of a Moog synth <laughs> Musk. <laughs> yeah, symbol, a symbol or something like that. I guess we'll see. But very funny for that child to be rising from the ashes of the other indie drama couple. Palmer Gaiman. <laughs> Palmer Gaiman household. Like a phoenix. Now back to numbers. Yeah, so we went from hyper-technical electrical engineering and math to celebrity gossip. Some indie page six shit. <laughs> Welcome to Leighton Night, which is a show that you're currently listening to. Hosted by myself, Leighton Gray, and the other one, who is... Brian Wecht. This week, we have no guest for the first time, probably in like 10 plus episodes. Yeah, which we totally planned. Oh, yes. And meant to do. <laughs> <laughs> the big news around these parts is we now have a producer, Jarek Sateno, who I've been working with in various capacities for a few years now. He's a really wonderful guy. And because now he is doing a lot of the editing, we have to finish recording the episode sooner so we can send it to him. And things just got out of hand and we didn't book a guest in time, which is fine because Leighton, I think you had this idea a while back and it was the perfect opportunity to do it. I think it was one of the first pitches for this show, but I hate talking about myself. So I did not suggest it until uh, it was mandatory for me to suggest so as not to 
come crawling to a friend like, will you come on my podcast last minute tonight, please? <laughs> Which is never a place that I would like to be, but find myself in. Welcome to Los Angeles. <laughs> we have all, all these wonderful people that have been meaning to ask for a while, but I never want to ask anyone last minute, right? So it's like this whole list of people that I want to ask, but it feels slightly rude to ask super last minute unless it's a very good friend. Planning things right now is just hard. So yeah, I guess the, the conceit of today's episode is that instead of advice emails or general questions, we asked for people to send questions for one of us to ask the other, and we don't know what questions the other person is asking. That's right. So we both have a bevy of cues, and I have no idea what Brian's cues for me look like, and then Brian does not know what I am going to ask him. So shaking it up. In the emails we asked people to send, we said in the subject line, for Brian's eyes only or Layton's eyes only. So we would know not to look at those emails. And I very care, like I blurred my eyes. I didn't even look at the, you know, the <laughs> subject line or anything beyond Brian's eyes only. Or you know how in Gmail it like shows you the beginning of the body of the email. Yeah. Didn't look at any of it. So I'm hoping to really get blindsided here. Oh, I have some good ones because I asked on Instagram for more because I think some people are allergic to emails and that's fine and totally understandable. Nobody likes to check their email. The email inbox is a bad place. It just feels like disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or communication from brands at this point. I, I was trying to think of the other day oh what the new cliches are. In these extraordinary times. Exactly. I was going to say unprecedented. In this unprecedented time, except for what it happened 100 years ago. What are the other ones? There's a lot of we care about you. Like getting an email from your bank that's like, we understand if things are really difficult right now. Hope you're okay with that. <laughs> like, no, we'll do anything to help you. Get ready to pay rent soon. Oh, getting the thing from my property management company that's like, regarding the COVID-19 situation, it's like, oh boy, did we freeze some rent? Oh no. Yeah, see, maybe hates that shit too. <laughs> For some reason, I got on the Spencer's Gifts email list. And up until I think the end of March, Spencer's Gifts emails were totally normal. There was no acknowledgement of anything happening until the very end of March or the beginning of April. And so it'd be like a thousand more deaths in the world. And then it's like, check out these awesome new t-shirts. <laughs> check out this shirt that says titties on it. Yeah, exactly. I want to ask the listeners... So you may have heard Layton's keyboard ASMR episode a few weeks ago, and I will be doing one as well at some point. I want to ask people what they want to hear me do ASMR. If you have ideas for that, please email us. Dear God, that's a real Pandora's box you're opening there. Oh, I really am. And I know there's some things I, I really want to do, which may be deeply unpleasant. So I don't want to, because I want it to be actually a thing that people will like, right? I don't want to actually upset people. I mean, I do want to upset people, but not really upset people. I just want to kind of upset people in a way that they get over quickly. Yeah, 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 totally. That makes sense. Yeah. If there's like a legitimately good ASMR thing you would like me to do, whether it's reading something or whatever the fuck else it is, I'm not super familiar with ASMR. I would love to hear it. What you're going to need to do first is uh, get some really long pointy acrylic nails. Uh-huh. That's first of all. Right. Maybe some twinkle lights and like those gauzy curtains that are like white that you put the twinkle lights behind. So it's very dreamy, you know, just stare really intensely into the camera. Oh, that did remind me. You'll see why this is connected in a minute. I was playing with Audrey the other day and she was like, let's play doctor's office. I was like, okay, great. Let's play doctor's office. Are you the doctor? And she goes, yeah. 
And I said, what's your name? And without missing a beat, she goes, Dr. Twinkleson. (laughs) (laughs) That is God tier. When I was a kid, my dad very frequently would make up fake names for people or places that we were going to, you know, David Smellman of the Smellman Smellmans. Uh. (laughs) But there was one time we were going on a road trip and I did not know which hotel we were staying at. And I was asking him, like, "What, what hotel are we going to? And then he just goes, Howard Johnson. And I was like, that's not, that's not real. Can you, where are we actually going? And we spent like an hour of me being like, stop doing this bit. This is really frustrating. Where are we going? And eventually we pulled up to a Howard Johnson because I so did not funny. know that existed. Shall we uh, get into this? I'll ask you a question first. Circular Purse on Instagram asks, what is your favorite candle scent? Well, I'll tell you what I really dislike first. I'll immediately take this negative. Peppermint. I hate peppermint. I love like mints, but I hate peppermint scents. Ew, I didn't even realize that there were like peppermint candles or anything. Oh my God. If you go into a Bath and Body Works around Christmas, you will be like nasally assaulted by peppermint and Christmas spices. I mean, going into any Bath and Body Works at any time is an assault on the senses and also just all sides from, can I help you find anything today? Are you finding everything all right? I do like, let's see, I have a scented candle in this garage. It's like a forest kind of woodsy smell. And I do like Mm. that a lot. I'd say that's my favorite scented candle. I'm going to complain about something. I may have said this on the podcast. Often people get upset when I say this, which is true, true about a lot of things I say. I hate cinnamon. I hate cinnamon. I hate the taste of cinnamon. I hate the smell of cinnamon. I also don't like like cloves and nutmeg and allspice and anything in that kind of scent or taste family. Interesting. Okay. Anything that is like pumpkin spice or that kind of thing, I find repulsive. So that's what I really, really don't like. Yeah, cinnamon candles are generally like not good. Ugh, I hate everything about cinnamon. That's a segue into another question that you got that's highly specific. Okay. This one comes from Instagram273. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite spice for cooking? I'm personally a slut for cumin. There's the episode title right there. <laughs> I love cumin. Cumin is great. Yeah, that's actually the first one I was going to say. Really? Wow, look, you're both sluts for cumin. Yep. There is this uh, restaurant in Somerville, Massachusetts, called Sound Bites that has a breakfast dish called Jimmy's Moroccan Eggs. There's actually a whole story about Sound Bites where you should look up Sound Bites Feud because there's like a whole story about this that I don't remember well enough to tell. So they have a dish called Jimmy's Moroccan Eggs, which is like poached eggs with vegetables and a shit ton of cumin just dumped all over it. (sighs) And it's, I have no idea what relation this bears to anything actually Moroccan, but it's a super delicious breakfast food. So I really like that. I also like my go-to added on later spice is just crushed red pepper. Oh yeah. Can't go wrong. There are so many like pasta dishes that it feels like it's missing something. And like, it's not even for the spiciness, it's just for the flavor. Like you throw that in there, yep. you're good to go. That's right. If you're eating pasta and you're like, why does this suck? Add salt, add crushed red pepper. It's going to be great. Add lemon. If you feel like it's missing something, it's probably acid. I agree with that. Not the kind that hurts you though. I mean, or, you know, if you're trying to get rid of a, a spouse who might have a, a sizable life insurance policy. Um, <laughs> Just in case. All right. uh, I'm going to ask you. This is a very specific question. It's from Kira, who asks, Leighton, what are your thoughts on the movie Dreamcatcher? Haven't seen it. Haven't heard of it. Really? Okay. What is it? It's a Stephen King movie, I believe, right? I'm pretty sure. 
Oh, it's some Donnie Wahlberg shit. Yeah, from the early 2000s, right. Oh, I do love some early, oh, Lawrence Kasdan. I love some... <laughs> Closing theme song performed by Donna Summer. Uh, okay, I have to watch this. All right, thank you, Kira. I will watch this. It's about aliens. Uh, yeah. It was co-written by William Goldman? This is the one with the shit demon, right? Famously, isn't it? <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you say ship or shit demon? No, shit. Yeah, this is the shit demon one. Yeah, this is a famous, like... <laughs> I think there's a How Did This Get Made on this one. It's like a famous kind of batshit movie. It's got aliens and all sorts of stuff. I've never seen it, but it's like a famously kind of out there, not not even gross, just weird and what the fuck is even happening right now. Wow, I can't believe I had not heard of this. Uh, I do love that one of the first headlines that comes up is Dreamcatcher, the box office perils of poop-based horror. <laughs> so remember Stephen King had like a big car accident in... I don't yeah, know, yeah. the late 90s. Which surprisingly was post-Misery. Oh, wow. Well, it wasn't post this book because this is the book, if I'm remembering correctly, he wrote like while he was recuperating. Okay, excellent. Kira, I will watch that movie and I will let you know if I like it. <laughs> cool. What modern horror movie would you like to see on VHS made like an 80s style horror movie? Like what movie that was made, let's say in the last five years, do you wish they had made in the 80s instead? I'm going to phrase it like that. Ooh, you know what? Knives Out. Oh, wow. Knives Out, if it was an 80s movie, would fucking rock. Yeah, like Clue, kind of, right? Yeah, exactly. This is always my thing. If you're going to do a thing where it's like, this is a pastiche of an older genre, actually do something interesting with it. You fucks. Um, if it was just like more on its face or just like sillier about it, or maybe, you know, this is another one of those things where I think the audience reaction to it is what makes me disproportionately hate it. Like, nominated for best, best screenplay? What the fuck? <laughs> why? I don't understand why we can't just not love or hate things anymore. It always has to be the big take of like, oh, this thing is objectively bad. This thing is objectively good. When I say that I hate a movie or that it is dog shit, that does not affect your enjoyment of a thing. You can like it. You can love it. I'm glad that people want to hear what my take is, but whatever. Like, if you enjoy a movie, that means it's good. Yeah, go have fun. It's great. I just, like, I don't want to read think pieces. I, I just, I hate a medium think piece. Yeah, there's not that much thought going into most think pieces. <laughs> More like no think pieces. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, the first thing that came to mind would be the reverse of that question, which is what, like, 80s-ish thing would you actually like a modern remake of? Event Horizon. Oh, that would, yes, that would be interesting. And when you say modern remake, let, let's be specific. What style or director? You know what? Let's not even say horror director, just director. I'm going to go Panos Cosmatos or whatever his name is who directed Mandy. That's just my initial poll. So we're not sitting here for like 20 minutes trying to think of something. Because I think with the visions of hell, that might be fun if it was a little bit more psychedelic, I guess. Yeah. I love the original Event Horizon so much. The reason that I would want a modern remake is because it's so dated, but it's such a fantastic concept that if it was remade now, I think it would operate really well if done correctly. The original was what, early 90s? I think maybe. And it also has Sam Neill, which I think is a big part of why I like that movie. Who, who is it? Let's see, it's Sam Neill. Is it Lawrence Fishburne? Is he in that? Yep. It's a, it's a good movie. If you haven't seen Event Horizon, you should watch Event Horizon. I haven't seen it in a long time. Where you're going, you're definitely going to need eyes to see because it's a great movie. <laughs> All right. Hit me with some more questions here. Brian, what's the worst thing you've eaten ever? Oh, and this is from Kilian on Instagram. I'm a pretty adventurous eater. I'll kind of try like literally anything. The one thing I can remember where I was like, 
oh, oh, God, no. Um, and I know it's a thing a lot of people love are those like those Japanese like salty pickled plums. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. The um, Fuck, I can't remember what they're called. Yeah, I can't remember what they're called either. First time I had one was it's actually in a metro station in Tokyo. I was going I was taking the, the bullet train to Kyoto and I got a little like a bento. And it had one of those and it was like, oh, cool, a little thing. And I pop, popped in my mouth, like, you know, on the train and it was fuck. Oh, that taste was just not for me. Interesting. That like is the first thing that really comes to mind. There aren't too many foods that I like just viscerally hate. Cinnamon I'm not a fan of, but it wouldn't make me like barf. This thing, this, the taste like stayed with me for a really, really long time. So you said you're an adventurous eater. What's the quote unquote weirdest thing you've eaten? I hate referring to things as like the weirdest thing because usually that comes with some sort of racist connotation. That's right. It's so like what, you know, whatever, Western normative or whatever. I, I, I've never eaten anything like weird. It's just like stuff I'm not used to. So, I mean, I think I... Have you eaten uh, bugs? Yeah, I ate bugs. I was in Korea and people were selling like these little bags of, I don't know what they were, silkworms maybe? And, you know, whatever, like most things, it's just like, there's a reason people eat it. It's probably pretty good. Yeah. And it's mostly like the seasoning that's on it. Like I shockingly really like crickets. Crickets are great. They can be great. <laughs> they can be great is the way to put it. I found this video the other day of <laughs> a guy who reviews foods, who is reviewing canned tarantula. Okay. See, that's, I wouldn't do that. I would not eat a canned tarantula. I will share that on the Twitter because it really sparked joy for me the other day because it's the guy sitting there with this like very sketchy looking like regular paper labeled can that's like canned tarantula. He opens it up. First of all, it's tarantula in water. And so it's just like he pours out the disgusting tarantula juice. Um, and then it's just like this super curled up little black tarantula. And he just fucking goes for it. I mean, he eats the legs first and he's like, I actually really like these. It's like a mushroomy kind of crunchy kind of deal. He eats the head. He loves it. And then he gets to the little bulb of the body and eats the whole thing in one go. And it's just like, no, yeah. no, <laughs> oh. I do not like that. It's it's like pus. Oh, really gross. Which was totally my thought watching it where I was like, yeah, you know what? I would eat that. I would not eat that part before he got to that part. And then I was like, yep, yeah, no, no, I don't want spider organs. The organs of a thing, even like a quote unquote more normal thing, like a lobster or something. I'm not going to eat the, the green stuff inside. I know people do. Not my bag. Although I've always kind of been this way. Like I love old man food. So <laughs> liver, uh, sardines, anchovies, like. Anchovy haters, open your heart. Yeah, they're so good. They're so good. Any sort of like umami bomb kind of food, like anchovies or olives. Like I love olives so much. It's just like fruit, meat. Yeah, totally. Healthy fruit, meat. And Audrey, Audrey loves anchovies. We eat anchovies on pizza together. She absolutely loves them. She'll just eat them whole and pound them. Ooh, speaking of a thing that like just amps up anything you cook, like if you mash up anchovy and just put it in your pasta, so good. Maybe one of my favorite Bon Appetit recipes, Castel Vetrano olives, breadcrumb, uh, anchovy bucatini pasta. And it's like one of my favorite things to make. It's so good. You kind of roast the olives in a pan a little bit. So they absorb all this like garlic olive oil. Yeah. Get the sauce with the anchovy. Oof. But you can buy anchovy paste in a tube and it like, oh. 
Just put it on your toothbrush. <laughs> it's the like secret ingredient to so many amazing recipes. You just squeeze a bunch in there and it automatically tastes better. Have you had um, head cheese or blood sausage or anything? Oh yeah, all that stuff. I like head cheese. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not going to like go crazy for it. Blood sausage is okay, fine. Yeah, I had it in, in isn't it Morthea in Spain? Isn't that a blood sausage? I'm pretty sure. It's food. Yeah, it's food. There's this place in New York called Sammy's Romanian, Lower East Side-ish. It might be the Bowery or something. It's like, you know, Eastern European Ashkenazi Jewish food. And they have cabbage stuff with brains. They have a big fucking pitcher of schmaltz, you know, chicken fat on the table. And you can pour it into your food. It's the kind of thing where my Jewish relatives all love this place. But it was like once every five years because you feel so ill after you eat there. (laughs) You have a great time when you're there. They have, you know, seltzer that you can order egg creams. And do you know what an egg cream is, Slayton? Oh, yeah, of course I know what an egg cream is. Well, not everybody everybody does. Not everyone is as as cultured as you. So you can have like make your own, make your own egg creams. Uh, They bring a bottle of vodka encased in a block of ice. And it's all like family style and it's the best. That sounds incredible. Sometimes there are those places where you know if you laid down on like a sheet of brown paper, it would turn transparent. Like you're just sitting in a five guys bag. Yeah, it's like you can feel your arteries hardening. I mean, any place that just gives you some fat, like a pitcher of chicken fat, fuck yeah. Like the best steak I ever had was in Berlin. It was a filet mignon and then they served it with a bone cut in half that was just like this roasted bone marrow that you're supposed to dip the steak in. It was so good. Oh, nice. Hey, do you like horror movies? Are you stuck at home right now just waiting to get funny games or perhaps The Strangers? Duh. Well, have we got the thing for you. In honor of our upcoming horror history series, Deep Cuts, hosted by yours truly, we've partnered with Shudder to bring y'all a special offer. Late night listeners, that means you, can get an extended 14-day free trial for Shudder and access to their full library of amazing horror movies. All you have to do is go to Shudder.com slash sign up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R and enter promo code DEEPCUTS. For people who don't listen to Late Night and are thus not cool, they only get seven days. Late Night listeners get 14. That's two weeks of horror content. And if that's not a peach, I don't know what is. So now that you have no excuse, I am simply demanding that you watch some great horror movies, such as Audition, Ginger Snaps, In the Mouth of Madness, Tetsuo the Iron Man, The Taking of Deborah Logan, The Love Witch, Knife and Heart, Revenge, literally all of the Friday the 13th movies, Dogtooth, Neroi the Curse, The Exorcist 3, A Tale of Two Sisters, and so many more that I couldn't possibly list them all, but they're very good. So scoot on over there with promo code DEEPCUTS, and let's get spooky. Or else. All right, I have a few more questions for you here, and these are bigger picture questions. So this is from Lee, they, them. This is a process question. Specifically, what's your process, Layden, for writing? So Lee says that they spend a lot of time in outline hell, which is pages and pages of bullet point notes outlining a plot. Do you spend a lot of time planning your work or do you just dive in? That's a good question. I think there's a certain amount of planning that is necessary. And then there's a certain point where your own planning and outlining becomes a prison for yourself and then you never actually write the thing. That's what Lee is talking about, I think, right? 
I don't, oh God, process stuff is so difficult, especially with writing because everybody writes so differently. It's so idiosyncratic, right? Like you just are going to do whatever works for you. Although often hearing people talk about their process is useful because you can try to. Yeah, I think for me, I spend a lot of time, like I always have a notebook or like a notes app on me for jotting down ideas and stuff because it's a lot of like, you know, when you do a project, you got to build out the skeleton. And then as you get more detailed with it, you're like, adding muscles to the skeleton. And so you kind of need to have like a strong skeleton for those muscles to go on. Otherwise, you're going to have a bad time. But I don't know. It's like chunking it up into individual manageable pieces. So you don't have like, there are limitless options that you could do right now. Or like you're thinking about, I have to do this entire project, cut off a chunk, do the chunk, cut off another chunk, do the chunk. And then you'll feel less like shit and less overwhelmed. Yeah of just taking it piece by piece, take it one day at a time. You do need to think about the big picture, but you don't have to be solving every single narrative problem all at once. And honestly, get a good editor. Like that's half the battle, really. Yes. Trusting someone to kind of point you in the right direction. I Something that helps me a lot is if instead of like writing stuff, I just kind of dictate as if I'm speaking to another person or actually talk to another person because I think the mere act of just putting something into words, like it's different to write something because like you're immediately being critical about what you're putting down. Yeah. Whereas if you're just kind of like speaking and recording yourself talk, you are actually going to articulate it way better even if you're bullshitting um, or you'll just hear the stuff that doesn't sound right. But yeah, in general, I feel like it's a lot of putting stuff into your brain so that when you are not actively working on the thing, your brain will be happy to hand you what you need. Because I think all of the best ideas and probably most of the good ideas that I have are not while I'm sitting at the keyboard with a blank document like, ah, shit, it's taking a shower or going for a walk and being like, huh, I could do that. Know when you're forcing it. And sometimes you do have to do that. Write the most basic version of the thing that you're trying to write. If you know that you need to do like three scenes or three paragraphs that accomplish X thing, just write character one says the thing that gets us to the next plot point. And then like once you actually have that skeleton of like, okay, this is what each of these things need to accomplish. It's going to be a lot easier for you to do it than if you had just gone in dry. I don't know if any of this is actually good advice. I think that's great advice. Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. And also like I, I do a lot of things where it's like if, you, if you're struggling to come up with like a certain word or a certain turn of phrase, I'll just do brackets and put in basically what I'm talking about. It was a thing that was really useful writing collaboratively on Dream Daddy because we would get to a certain thing and I'd be like, okay, so the joke that I want to have here that I can't think of is like... X, Y, Z, and then Vernon would be like, got it immediately. It's nice to, especially if you can find somebody who like you creatively work together really well with, I think that's important. Or even if it's somebody who's just a good listener and just be like, hey, I don't even need advice. I just kind of need somebody to talk at so I can articulate this. Like I, I guarantee that will at least help a little bit. And it also gets you more comfortable with sharing your work with others, which I think is a really, really big hurdle for a lot of people who are starting out. Oh, yeah. It's just a thing that you have to get over and deal with. If you want to be a creative person and do things, that's never going to go away. And if you ignore it or don't listen to people, your stuff is going to be bad. I will start up be blunt about that. If you don't listen to what other people tell you, you don't have to listen to every piece of advice. And it's a skill to know what's bullshit and what's not. Right. But if you don't listen when talented people that you trust tell you a thing is bad or not working, you're not going to get better. That, that's the crucial part, talented people that you trust. Yes, it's there's a difference between somebody that you asked and who you trust giving you a critique yes. versus some rando on Twitter being like, um, I don't like the way that you did this. And it's like, okay, 
anime avatar with three followers. I totally trust your expertise. (laughs) I think that's awesome advice. I hope that helps. Oh, this is a nice deep one. This one comes from Bear Nash underscore. Where does this fixation of cum and butt come from? Uh, I don't have any such fixation. Excellent. I'm just going to leave it there. Do I write jokes about it on the NSP Twitter occasionally? Yes, I do. Does that equal a fixation? Nope. (laughs) I love a kind of serious answer to this. God, it's almost like people do bits on the internet. (laughs) But it is something I think about. Okay, I can actually kind of spin this into a semi-in-depth discussion. So, you know, I write all the NSP Twitter stuff, and that is an account that has a voice that I've established over its whatever, you know, 10-ish year history. It varies. Like the voice has changed over the years. I look at early tweets and I'm like, I wouldn't write that now because it doesn't sound like NSP Twitter. You know, we try with NSP to be, obviously we're making a lot of sex jokes, but we never want to be gross. And butts generally are not gross. Cum generally is gross. And (laughs) if you're going to make a cum joke for that account, it has to be silly enough that it's like funny. Yeah, that's not like explicit. I watched a TikTok of somebody pouring liquid egg whites into a cup and then dumping a lot of salt in it. And the caption was like, when you miss your man during quarantine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not on brand for NSP. No, not. And we, like, we never want to be pornographic, generally speaking. There's exceptions to every rule because it's comedy. The, generally, the word come when I use it in NSP is as part of this terrible catchphrase that I developed. Y'all want to do any comes? which I like because it's bad. It's one of those things where I was like, this would be a truly awful meme. (laughs) I just thought it was funny. It was one of those things that the phrasing just came to me. We were on tour. I remember walking into the bus one day and just being like, hey guys, check this out. Y'all want to do any cums? (laughs) Right? Yeah. I thought it was a really funny thing. Imagining it read in that voice immediately makes it so much funnier. In my mind, it's like one of those high-pitched Southern male voices. (laughs) And it became like a thing on the tour bus, not with everybody, but with a few people. And then I was like, you know, it'd be really fun is just inserting this into memes and using the meme format wrong. So then it became another joke where I would take that and shoehorn it into some meme and Mm -hmm. make sure I did it wrong. So excellent. Like the car turning off the highway, you know, like taking the exit fast, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you just put it in one of the slots and then leave the other ones blank. That sort of stuff. So it became a silly joke that was its own thing. At some point, Dan was like, all right, dude, enough. (laughs) You have to stop doing this because it's bothering me. (laughs) That's our account. Like I I run the social media, but yes, it's his, you know, his name's on it too. So when Dan says to me, I'm not really feeling that right now, my answer is always cool. Okay, I'll stop. You do really strike the perfect balance of like silly and out of touch on, on the NSP accounts. I try. Thank you. That's a, that's a, that's a really nice compliment because that is exactly what I'm trying to do. And I often find <laughs> like when people will be like, oh, this is totally a thing that NSP would tweet and it's something just gross. I'm like, mm-hmm. OK, that is misunderstanding the voice of that Twitter account. <laughs> and it, it really like it's hard for non writers to understand the particulars of a voice. Right. Yes. There's like fine gradations that I'm, of course, more sensitive to than most because it's my thing. But I, I do think a lot about, you know, what's the fixation with cum and butt? Like, butt is an easy word because it's funny and it's not gross. 
come just be kind of turned into this other thing that became an excuse for me to upset people by using memes badly. Yeah, there's a certain level of like having a large following and people start reacting in that like, please stop kind of way that really just lights the fire to continue doing it. Like I never, the Dream Daddy Twitter account somehow has like 70,000 followers and I never touch it just because whatever, I'll say this openly for a very long time, looking at the mentions on that account <laughs> was pretty traumatic yeah. and mildly yeah, caused me to have a mental breakdown, whatever, et cetera. Um, and so now I'm especially wary of it because it's just sort of like, you know what, I, for my sanity, this is going to be a dice roll of either some stuff that's very sweet or some stuff that's going to ruin my day. But recently I just tweeted Tom Nook is daddy. And then I kept ship, ship posting about Animal Crossing. That was a good one. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was super fun. And then, of course, you get the same thing where it's people being like, fuck you, stupid pandering ass game. Shut up. It's like, well, just block us, motherfucker. We're lucky with NSP. I don't see that much hate on it. That's great. But it's also because I have all those filters and everything turned on. And I don't oh, look at the yeah. mentions that much. Obviously, I want people to think that account is funny. That's the point. Because it's like, does it really add anything to your life or your work for some asshole to go on this screed about how you're awful in every way and they hate you? Like profanity laden. That Like you don't gain anything from that other than feeling bad. That's right. <laughs> people underestimate, um, I don't know, just volume online. There's a really good quote that's like, no snowflake feels responsible for the avalanche. Yeah, <laughs> totally. In terms of fan works, is there a particular specific way that people characterize you that you bristle at? I, I, you know what? I don't really read too much fan fiction about me. That is the normal response. <laughs> That's the good and healthy response. I will say, and this probably comes as a surprise to no one, the constant, hey, do you have a PhD thing? I, fe I feel like that has run its course. I thought that was a funny thing to say, uh, you know, adopting the character of an arrogant jerk when I was on Game Grumps. And I guess some people, A, didn't read as a character too, which <laughs> was certainly a risk. Oh, somebody doing a character on the internet? Yeah. Who would do that? Well, you know, or adopting like a personality. I thought it was, I always thought it was funny because I was like, no, who the fuck would even say this? But, you know, of course yeah. some people took it seriously. But certainly now it's become like the thing that no matter what I post, PhD, 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 PhD. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's very in the goddamn it Ross kind of vein. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I knew what I was getting into to some extent when I started saying it. Anyway, that's, so we went from coming butts to... Serious discussion about the nature of the internet. <laughs> yeah. This is a quick one for you. This is from Josh. Layton, what are your biggest artistic influences? I guess that could be taken in a few different directions. If I'm going for visual art, probably going to say like the really basic picks like Eon Sheila or Gustav Klimt, uh, John Singer Sargent. I really love fond memories of just like crying very hard in front of Portrait of Madame X mm. in New York, which is an incredible painting with an mm -hmm. incredible backstory. Francis Bacon is probably one of my favorite yeah. painters ever. Just like so fantastic. Such a pioneer for horror imagery. There's a really great documentary on YouTube about Francis Bacon called Violence with a Brush that I highly recommend you watch because his life story is super interesting every single artist on Twitter in terms of directors, obviously David Lynch, um, love me some Tarkovsky, really love Michael Haneke. Like I love Michael Haneke's entire approach to everything, which is mostly like, fuck you audience. I'm not going to give you what you want. This is going to be sad and fucked up. Um, which I respect so much. I don't need to go into writing. It, I like a lot of things and I am inspired by a lot of things that I am going to, after we are done recording, sit there and be like, why didn't I mention X, Y, Z? <laughs> Yeah. Which is how it always goes. Cool. Do you want a really trivial one or one that might frustrate you? Frustrate me. 
What does Brian imagine is on the other side of a black hole? Asked by JKB MNSF. Oh, I don't think there's another side. Like, what exactly happens when you fall into the singularity that is still unknown? But I don't think there's another side of a black hole. Yeah, if you're really concerned about it, there's a really great educational film from the early 90s that you could watch on that topic called Event Horizon, starring Samuel. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I I should have taken that opportunity, and I didn't. It's fine. It was the easy, low-hanging fruit. Alex Paralongo asks, what's something from your childhood that should be brought back today? TV, toy, etc. This is such an old nerd answer, but I just remember the excitement when I opened that Atari 2600. It, it was at a level where people were just really starting to get personal computers and there weren't many video game consoles. You know what? I'm going to answer this as a feeling. That feeling of like, wait a minute, being on the cusp of a real technological sea change, we may get that again. And certainly we have to some extent with you know smartphones, but there was something about being a young kid in the 80s at the dawn of the personal computer era that I feel like we'll never really get again in that way. All technology looks clunky when you look back on it, but there was just something so wonderfully nerdy and clunky about it That particular feeling, I don't think will ever come back in that way. This is maybe a very cynical place to go with it, but I I feel like every big advancement from here on out is going to be like (laughs) the worst. It's not going to be an exciting thing. It's going to be like, I guess this was the terminal endpoint of this, huh? There's going to be some probably big stuff with like wetware kind of things, you know, implants or Mm -hmm. whatever is probably, you know, I don't think that's crazy. Like that seems very plausible to me. Um, And that's going to be, of course, a huge game changer when that really becomes a thing. But that feels so different. Yeah, it's a a completely different thing. Like in your lifetime, you've seen a lot of interesting technological advancements. You know what? I was going to ask this not on the show, but I might as well ask it on the show. As you might notice, I keep forgetting that I'm logged into the late night YouTube channel. So all the YouTube that I've been watching on my desktop is in that watch history. If you ever want to roast me for it, it's very predictable. Cool, cool. But there's going to be like five entries of watching different angles of the Challenger explosion. Ooh. How old were you when that happened? I was 10, uh, 10 or 11. It was 86. Did you watch it happen? No, but I remember people talking about it in school. I was in school and someone came running in the classroom and said, the Challenger blew up. It was a big deal because uh, Ron McNair, who was an astronaut on that, was the cousin of my second grade teacher, who was a teacher at the school. And he oh, had to, like God. come to the school to talk about being an astronaut. I don't know if he was the first black astronaut, but he was certainly one of the very few. Uh, I think he might have been the first. I don't quite remember. And he like came to the school and he was my second grade teacher's cousin and it was like a big deal. And then he died in the Challenger explosion, which was just a horrible thing anyway. But also that there was this guy that we had seen and who is related to someone, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was that was just awful. There's like a terrible angle of the explosion where like if you listen really, really quietly, you can hear a woman in the crowd go, my son was on there. Oh, oh, God. (sighs) It was horrible. I was reading pretty extensively about it and boy, did not need to know a lot of things that I read, but now I know them. Oh yeah. When you really dig into it, it was like worse than you think. It's way worse than you think. Yeah. So if you're really interested in morbid stuff, that's going to ruin your day. Go look it up. But otherwise do not go look it up. I watched some movie. It was called Challenger and it was William Hurt playing Richard Feynman focused on his role in the investigation of the Challenger disaster. Put it on record, Feynman was a total creep and did a lot of horrible things to women. So I'm not endorsing Richard Feynman as a person here, but this movie was an interesting story of this time. Layton 
What's poppin'? What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Somebody tweeted at our account um, that we should check out this album that was made in 76 and it's all like Moog synth and it's called Mother Earth's Plantasia. It's a classic. Like that is a classic, well-known like synth album. I, I, know, I know that album. Awesome. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. I worked today while listening to it and I really loved it. So thank you person who tweeted it at us. I think that's my that's my what's popping because I can't think of anything else other than the things that I've been talking about, which is solely consuming Dead by Daylight and Sopranos content. And I guess watching men eat canned tarantula. <laughs> you should actually... A podcast that I really like, Bizarre Albums, did an episode on that album. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. First of all, I really recommend this podcast, Bizarre Albums. It's Tony Thaxton. It's fucking great. You know, it's the, I'm not making fun of him. I'm talking about this cool, weird thing vibe, which is great. Mm, yeah. And he has a whole episode, which is maybe about a month old. It was pretty recent on this specific album, and it's totally worth listening to. So both the album and the podcast. Yeah. Cool. Brian? What's poppin'? What's poppin' for me is the 1986 Prince album Parade, which is basically the soundtrack to Under the Cherry Moon. So Prince made two movies, Purple Rain and Under the Cherry Moon. Purple Rain was a huge hit and, you know, is like probably one of the best pop albums of all time. And Under the Cherry Moon as a movie was a huge flop. I've never even seen it. I'm a huge Prince fan, but like it's just not supposed to be good at all. But the album that came out with the movie is fucking incredible. And it's got all sorts of interesting, fun stuff on it. But my favorite song on it, which is the song that I went to when Prince died, is called Sometimes It Snows in April. And it has, I think, my favorite chord in pop music, which is in the chorus of that song, there's a chord in there, not in the key that the song is in, and it sticks out like a sore thumb, but blends beautifully into the melody and the harmony. You you can't miss it. A little musical detail on the scale. It's on the flat too, a half step up from the tonic. So the song's an A, the chord's a B flat, and it just like sticks the fuck out and it's beautiful. I don't know why I was coming back to it recently, just kind of listening to it. And it's so good. It has so many great songs and... Sometimes it snows in April in particular is it's a beautiful song that I just I can't get enough of it. It's my favorite Prince song, certainly my favorite Prince ballad since it's my favorite Prince song. The album is called Parade. I think it's Parade Songs from Under the Cherry Moon, but it basically is just a standalone, amazing, beautiful album. What's poppin'? Brian, shall we move on to Peaches and Lemons? Peaches and Lemons. So as Brian and I both know, peaches and lemons is the thing that my aunt and uncle do with my nieces every night at dinner where they go around on the table and they share a lemon, which is a thing that was kind of a bummer during the day or something that kind of sucked a little bit. And then the peach, they share one peach, which is a good thing that happened that they're excited about or grateful for. Thus, we have stolen that. We do three peaches and one lemon. Indefinitely, no lemons for a while. Yeah. (laughs) So we're just going to do peaches. Brian, what are your peaches? Big one is Audrey lost her first tooth this morning. And it's a big deal. She's very excited. She's like an official big kid now. And she has other kids in her kindergarten that, you know, have already been losing teeth. And this is her first one. And it's it's a it's a very, very big deal to her. She knows there's no spoiler alert tooth fairy. 
that it's just us, but I made her a little tooth themed word search that we're going to put, you know, probably not under her pillow, but somewhere for her to find tomorrow because she's really into word searches right now. That's so sweet. That's such a perfect, like, unique tooth fairy thing. I tweeted about this just to get people's stories. I saw it. Yeah. I I love people's unusual tooth fairy stuff. I have a friend, he's a writer, and he writes these kids these, like, beautiful, funny letters from the tooth fairy whenever they lose a tooth. I think it's great. That's precious. The feeling of having a really waggly tooth that you can just kind of, like, mess with when you're a kid. Yep. Like, it's such an simultaneously awful but satisfying feeling, especially when it's hanging on by that little thread. I was such a baby that I could never, it, it had to be like basically on by a little gum thread for me to get it out. Otherwise, I would just be screaming and crying. It For Audrey, it just popped out like this morning. It was getting real wiggly. And then she just like poked it with her tongue this morning and it went pop. And and then it was out. My other peaches. Well, the, I mentioned this so much, but I'm, I got to say it again. My kid's album came out. Woo! Yep. I really like it. People seem to like it. And it's just fun to have that kids thing out there so people can hear it. So if you haven't checked it out, go banana go. Uh, I I really, really love it. And we are, we as me and Jim Roach, we are going to keep churning out kids songs because it's fun and it's easy and kids need something to do right now. Other than putting pizza on their feet. Yeah, exactly. My third peach, it's another Audrey one. So I, she's been riding her bike recently, which is really great. And I was like, you know what? Let's go find a big parking lot and let you tool around as fast as you can. And so I drove around and found like a big empty parking lot and just set her loose. And there was no one around. And she was just like screaming with joy as she, you know, put pedal to the metal and just was going like she was biking so hard that she, she just like drenched her clothes. It was a pretty warm day. And, you know, literally she's biking. She's, she says, woohoo. She goes, woohoo, which is biking. It was like, uh, it was pure kid joy. And it was so nice, like so just sweet. to get out of the house, you know, out of our neighborhood. It wasn't super far, but it was like probably a 10 minute drive and there was no one around and it was just pure, pure kid fun. So, yeah. Gosh, those are such like beautiful, wholesome beaches. I have a beautiful, wholesome kid. Mm. What about you, Layton? Peach number one by far was the thing I already mentioned was getting my ergodox working. Like I really thought that this, this thing was done and that I just like would have this useless expensive thing lying around. Cause this is like, I've been waiting on all the parts to get in for months. I'm still waiting on like a key set to come in that will probably be several more months, but it's really beautiful. And for right now I just have like random keycaps on it, but it's exciting to like learn to type from scratch. Like it's kind of fun and satisfying to learn and have like all your special key binds and stuff, whatever. I already talked about it. Right. Second peach is that last night I got delivery from Shake Shack. Oh, nice. I had not gotten like delivery or even like gone out to eat for like a while before pandemic stuff started going down. So like that was really nice treat. I was just like sitting there huffing the bag, getting that meat (laughs) smell. Uh, And I guess the third one, it's a thing that I don't want to sound like a humble brag, but I will just say it and hope do it, do it. that y'all take it in good faith. I was able to uh, donate a good bit of money to local LA various charities and like nice. businesses this week, um, which because I was just feeling like really shitty and hopeless about the whole thing. And I was like, you know what? 
I am able to do this. So I'm going to do this. That's great. So if you have even like a little bit to give, find some like local businesses or, you know, charities that you can give to because it's very like tangible, immediate things. And also in general, like support your local businesses. If there's a restaurant that you really like, order directly from them. Like don't use Postmates or Grubhub. Like Yes, do not. I get it. You don't want to talk to people on the phone. <laughs> you got to do it. It like it makes a difference. You got it. If you want the places that you like to stay in business, you should do it. Uh, another thing is like if there is a bookstore or something like, first of all, just don't order shit from Amazon. I know we're all guilty of it, but don't do it. But if there's like a bookstore nearby that you like or an art store nearby that's like still running, order stuff through them like they can get it for you. Yeah. Do what you can to help people out right now. And also just take care of yourselves. Like, it's hard right now. It's yeah. okay. And there, there are also ways, there are lots of ways of supporting things without spending money. Spreading the word yes. is the biggest. Like if you want to support a local restaurant or artist or whatever, tell people about it. It is an important thing and helps that person or group out for sure. Like it's, you know, I get it. Not everybody has a lot of money these days, but if you want to help a restaurant or a person or whatever, tell people about it. And that's a, that's a huge thing too. And if you really want to help somebody who's in need right now, um, you should go to patreon.com slash Amanda Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I can say that and not feel bad about it. Cause she was literally tweeting. Like, I know at the end of the month, it's really difficult because sometimes people's, um, cards lapse or they, they cancel their things. So just like, please, give me money this month basically was the gist of the tweet. Really? <laughs> and then somebody replied like, I can't really make rent this month, so I can't do it. And she was like, we all need to support each other right now. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my God. That's oh. <laughs> so lame. Usually I hate taking relish in this, but I just have so few things to be excited about. It feels awful, but you know what? I will look at this and call me a hot dog because I'm fucking relishing it, baby. <laughs> the idea of an artist being like, fuck you for not supporting me because you don't have any money. Like, come on. What are you <laughs> <laughs> During this pandemic? Well, just ever, ever. Meanwhile, I'm in my compound in New Zealand. Give me more money. Uh, I'm sorry. A any artist, most of your fans do not have the money to support you financially. And how dare you? How dare you scold them for that? Yeah, like demand money? Seriously? I, I, I don't know the last time I said how dare you, but oh, that's <laughs> There was so much fire in that how dare you. <laughs> I'm sure she's going to be okay. <laughs> I think she'll be fine. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thank you for tuning in for this very special guestless episode. Yeah, this was fun. I had a great time. Yeah, this was super good. Next time we procrastinate and don't have a guest, we should go back to asking each other questions because it's fun and cool. Yes, totally. And thank you for everybody for sending in the questions. And sorry if we either said your name or username wrong or forgot to say it. You're still cool and we still like you. Even yeah. that That's our bet. This is, I'm giving you a thumbs up right now. Here, listen. I'm also, I'm giving you two thumbs up. You can't see it, but I'm doing two of them. Oh, well. Also, maybe put a thumbs up. Two of them. I guess I can't top that. Sure can't. The opposable <laughs> thumbs are really problematic with her, honestly. I don't know why she has them, and I feel like she's getting stronger every day, and just some days I wake up, and some days I wake up, and she's just sitting on my chest, and there's just that look in her eye, like she wants to feast on my soft cartilages. The day will come, <laughs> but, but not today. Nope. She's asleep right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, stay safe out there, y'all. Um, tune in next time for more bullshit. Thank you. This is the end of the podcast. Bye. Bye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wett, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.